doing to create your dream life or your best self? Why do we see some thrive through challenges while others struggle? Welcome to Effort, a podcast where I talk about the main Fs in my life that have helped me in creating my best self. Faith, family, forgiveness, food, fitness, and formula. Hi, my name is Amy Ledeen, and most would say that I've had my fair share of struggles, whether it was placing my baby for adoption at 18, facing my marriage-ending affair, or battling stage four cancer for almost seven years, it's safe to say that I've been through a lot. Join me as I take you through my story, my journeys, and share with you the tactical strategies every single week that will help you thrive and overcome anything you face. That's right, I'm gonna show you how to create a future self that you'll be proud of. So buckle up, get ready for the ride as I take you through my story and bring other guests on that have helped me along the way. Okay, so I'm going to dive right into part two of my adoption story. Now, if you've not listened to part one, you need to go back to the episode before this so that you can see up until this point, I tried to break this up where part one is up until I placed and part two is after I placed for adoption. And you're probably thinking, really, you need an entire episode for post-adoption? Yes, yes, I do. So as I mentioned in the first episode here, the part one, my adoption was a closed adoption. And so for those of you that aren't familiar, you know, nowadays I would say that most agencies do an open adoption. They just feel that it's better for both the birth mom and for the adoptive couple, you know, just for the child to have closure, but also have acceptance. There's, you know, if you listened in part one, there's a lot of shame around the pregnancy stigma. And so mine was a closed adoption. And with closed adoptions, after placing, I received letters once a year until she turned three. And then I got one more picture and I don't even think it was part of policy. She just, my social worker had given me one more picture. So outside of that, you know, that was, that was it. And so post, you know, placement, I poured right into working. This is when I would say my achievement slash, you know, never want to be that statistic phase started for me. And since I hadn't even started with this healing process of, I mean, forgiving myself, I just poured right into that and really didn't look back. While I did receive, you know, letters on the anniversary and I wrote letters to her, it was, you know, I was in an immature place just emotionally and mentally that it was, you know, I'd have such mixed emotions. I was so happy to see pictures of her and see just how happy she was and thriving. But the small me was so sad that it wasn't with me. You know, I was still really, really heartbroken and just, I couldn't really speak about it. Now, I was really blessed to have this killer opportunity. I worked for Tiffany and Company, became their youngest uh, director of their boutique in Hawaii. And So it just got me busy. I was with a lot of older people. You know, I was able to really separate myself from the pregnancy. And, you know, I truly believe that that just helped me during that time. However, I was still, you know, when you don't heal those parts of you, you're still looking for love. You're still looking for acceptance and, you know, wanting to be needed and all of that. And then on top of that, not going through that forgiveness process, I still was condemning myself. Now, 
It wasn't until a few years ago, guys, that I really realized God's unconditional love for me. And I carried this for 21 years of my life. I didn't want to speak about it. I remember when I started dating that year that, you know, my social worker had said, well, you know, at some point you do want to tell the person that you're dating, you know, that you've had a baby. And because there is always that potential possibility that someday she'll want to meet you and, you know, you got to be upfront about it. And I, I dated a little bit, but again, not really dealing with my own stuff. This is when I met Kevin. So I, you know, if you, if you look kind of at my timeline here, you know, I'm 18 turning, you know, I turned 19 and I was already back in a very serious relationship. Now I consider Kevin and that, you know, time in my life, he was seriously a guardian angel. Like he really, he didn't judge me. He was very, very um, accepting um, when I told him and just made me feel so much better about it. But I still didn't, you know, it was such a, a tender wound for me that I really couldn't talk about it with people. On the anniversary of, you know, on her birthday every year, I would just completely ghost and not talk to people and, you know, sometimes even take it out on people because I was just hurting so much from just the adoption and just never, you know, processing my, my grief because it, it's like a, you know, I used to say, and I, and I don't even, you know, I can't compare it to anything else, but it's like there's no closure because there's always that possibility. You're just still having some hope. And then, you know, as time went on and I mean, I got married very young, 19 and had Kainoa, you know, pretty soon after that, you know, if you look at my adoption timeline, you know, Taylor was born in 96 and I had Kai in 99. I mean, I was married, but you know, again, I look back and I'm like, man, I didn't know anything about life at all. And so here I am having, um, Kai. And so at that point, it, it healed me a little bit because I had another baby to love, but still not really talking about it. It wasn't until Kai was, I believe he was around seven or eight that I decided to tell him. And I, I can't even remember what happened if it was he found a picture because I know when Kamele found out, it was really, again, just such a shameful part of my heart that I, I didn't share it with them at all until I felt like I had to. And so, you know, fast forward, I never had really dealt with it. And then it wasn't until it was 2018. So the same year that I went into remission, actually, that was a couple months later. So I was still in the middle of my cancer, cancer battle. And one of my brothers had actually set up this app on our phone that, you know, we shared all of our photos, like family photos. He's, he's always been great about scanning all of the old photos in so that we can see them. And so I had downloaded it and he has it, you know, all based on families. And then he has like pre-marriage and post-marriage, you know, because this is back when we didn't have digital, you know, pictures, guys. So he had taken all this time to scan all these photos in. And I was going through them one day and there were some pictures of the hospital. And it took me right back there because I'd really buried this part of me, just the shame. And I still had that stigma. I'm like, I don't want people to know that, especially after having my affair. When I had my affair and 
all of that came out, it was like taking me back to 18-year-old Amy and the self-talk and all of the things that came with it back then was like, man, you really are a loser. You're really white trash. Like you really don't have your shit together, Amy. Like, so seeing these pictures took me right back to the hospital. And it was crazy because I didn't really remember a lot of that. I had blocked out so much of that pain that, you know, there was pictures of my brother, Mike, holding Taylor and pictures of Jason holding Taylor, my parents, you know, and me dressing her. And I just was like, how did I, I mean, I don't even remember a lot of this. So then I, I called my brother and I'm like, do you remember? Like, tell me what you were thinking. Because then it started, you know, I was in the middle of like doing therapy at this point in 2018 and really discovering myself. And, you know, we we were already going through our, what we called our midlife crisis, you know, explosion for change phase. And so I was fascinated by the fact that, you know, back then my family didn't even talk about it. Like I said to Mike, I said, Mike, like, what were you thinking? Because they were just little boys. You know, if I was 18, that meant Mike was like 13, 14, you know, he was 13. And then that would make my little brother, he was like 11. So I'm like, well, what were you guys thinking? Like, here's your older sister. You watch her have this, you know, her belly gets bigger. She's having a baby. Because remember, things were not talked about in my home. And again, I know now through therapy, you know, the best book any of you, if you had parents that didn't really talk about things, you need to get this book on emotionally immature parents is part of the title. I'm drawing a blank right now, but it's a really good book. And it's, you know, first, even just the name of it triggered me, but you'll start to see that it's just all they knew. And so my parents didn't talk about it and they didn't, it's not like they ever sat down with my brothers. Like I didn't know this, but you know, I'm like, Hey, well, what were you guys thinking? And they're like, you know, we didn't really know what was going on. So we came to the hospital and, and we held her and, and then you didn't come home with her. And then we saw you really sad. And then we didn't, no one talked about it. So we didn't know if we were allowed to talk about it, if we were allowed to say something, you know, it just was a lot of, you know, mixed emotions everywhere. So up to this point in 2018, you know, I hadn't really talked about Taylor. Now, when I was moving at one point, maybe about five years before that, I have a scrapbook of pictures of her. And crazy enough, she looks very, very much like my daughter, Kimaylee, so much so that at one point, Camelia, she had found this scrapbook and she's like, look, it's me. You know, she thought it was her. And that was the point that I'd sat down with her and, and talked to her about me placing a baby for adoption. And again, just coming from, you know, just a shameful, you know, condemning place. And so in 2018, when I saw these photos and it just took me back there, I talked to my brothers you know, I went through an angry phase. I called my mom, freaked out at her, you know, like, how could you not even get me in therapy? And I'm so screwed up because of this. Like, I'm, I'm just have this hole in my heart. And it's, it's really where I have a massive fear of rejection. And I don't like to put myself, you know, in the past, I didn't like to put myself out there, you know, vulnerably to say, you know, even to my husband, how much I love and needed him because of just that fear of rejection because, you know, and I don't even know how I tie that in necessarily with, with Taylor because it's not like she's rejected me, but it's just like the story, you know, I created. So my brother had asked me, he's like, well, 
I mean, she's 21 now. You technically, I mean, you could get put on like a registry that if she ever wanted to meet you, you know, you could do that. And so I, I thought, you know, I'll take a stab in the, in, in the dark here. And I had remembered my social worker's name. And without divulging her name, let's just say that it's like a very common name. It would be like John Smith. Okay. Like that common. And so I'm like, well, I'm going to have to try to find her because what I did was I started doing some digging in 2018 and I saw that LDS Family Services, this agency that I had placed through, had all sorts of things in the in the news about them coercing girls into adoption and that the church had actually disbanded this agency. And I, I didn't know anything of this, right? So I was starting to have some, you know, really mixed emotions. I was feeling a little bit of anger. I was just feeling, you know, like I was starting to relive some of the pressure I had, the shame that came with it, the way that I was so separated from people. And so I'm not going to lie, I went through a lot of, I mean, every emotion possible. Plus I'm fighting cancer. I'm just really feeling down. And so I decided, I'm like, well, I'm going to see if I can find this social worker of mine. Let's call her Susan Johnson. Okay. So that's a very common name. I do a search on Facebook and this is really crazy. So as I'm, you know, if you're searching on Facebook and you start to type in the name, it's first going to show you any of those, you know, like a Susan Johnson that I might, that I'll have a mutual friend of a Susan Johnson. And so this name pops up that I have one mutual friend with this Susan Johnson. Now, again, I'm just protecting her name because I don't want anyone to go, you know, search this. And I see that I have a mutual friend of this Susan Johnson. So I click it and I'm like, oh my gosh, this was my social worker. So I decide to send her a message right then. I'm like, hi, my name is, you know, Amy Sessions because I knew I needed to use my maiden name. And I placed a baby for adoption back in 1996. You know, my daughter Taylor would be 21 at this point. And I knew, I don't even know when this happened, but at some point someone slipped and told me her new name. Because like I said, we had named her Taylor. You know, I still even have a copy of her birth certificate where we named her that. And then I found out later that they had changed her name. I think my social worker actually even told me, and I was, I had really mixed emotions about that because it was something that they'd told me they were going to keep. And so they'd changed the name. And I just, my whole life, I had pictured her as a tailor. And so when I found out like her real name, you know, I was just like, oh, this is, this is different. You know, my whole life I've, I've called her Taylor and, you know, I had to get used to that. But anyways, I see my, you know, I say, you know, I had a baby, you know, her name was Taylor. I'm not sure if you remember me, but I'd like to see about the process of how do I get on, you know, a registry? Because while I'll totally be comfortable and okay with her not wanting to meet me with, which let's just be honest, that was just me not wanting to be vulnerable. I want to get put on a registry so that I give her that opportunity. Within five hours, she replies to me, oh my gosh, you know, Amy, I totally remember you. And your daughter was just in Hawaii two weeks ago looking for you. She wants to connect with you. And that was the word she used. She wants to connect with you. So please send me your information so that I can give that to her. And then you guys can get in contact. 
So obviously this was just crazy news for me. I was, I mean, I remember where I was. I was in my office. I ran to my house, ran to my house. And I'm like, you know, well, actually, wait, let me rewind. So I decided to do a little digging because at this point I knew that my, you know, Susan Johnson, my social worker was actually, she became friends with this family. So I thought I would take a stab in the dark here and search her friend list because I knew that, you know, within the LDS family services, while it was an agency, I mean, it was through the church and everybody was, they just knew everybody. So I took a stab at, I knew her, her real, her real name, the name they changed it to. So I searched her friends list and there was someone that came up with her new name. And from there I clicked the name and it was a very surreal moment for me because as I'm scrolling this person's profile, um, you know, she had it pretty locked down, but she did have a post from two years prior that was a public post and it was all about adoption. And I knew in that moment, based on the picture and then based on the post, that this was my birth daughter. And it was just every emotion in the world. Like I just, I'm getting emotional thinking about it now. Um, and I ran to my house and I was, I mean, I was excited, but I was also, you know, I hadn't told my young children about her and it wasn't because I wasn't proud of her. It was just, again, a place of shame. But I ran to the house and I mean, just seeing her picture and showing it to my husband, I showed you know, Eric, I said, this is her. This is what she looks like. And so because she had said, you know, she wanted to connect with me, I decided I'm going to tell the kids, like, we're going to sit down with them. So I had, you know, Leilani didn't know about it. And then, you know, Eric's two children, they're like my own, Alyssa and Christian. We we sat down and I'm like, guys, I have something to tell you. So, you know, 21 years ago, I had a little girl and, you know, we're going to get to meet. And this is, these are the baby pictures I have of her. This is what she looks like now. These are the letters that I kept of hers. And uh, it was like the perfect happy ending, right? And then I didn't hear anything. It was a couple days. Now keep in mind, I knew that I'd given her all my information. I gave her a handful of photos um, to my social worker and I gave her, because I wanted to respect you know, my daughter, as much as I could have hit the message button on her profile at that point, I really didn't want to like scare her. And I didn't, I mean, again, I'd never gone through any counseling for adoption. So I didn't even know what I should be doing. I just wanted to follow the quote unquote rules. So nothing, I didn't get anything, didn't get anything. Now keep in mind, telling a birth mom after 21 years that there's suddenly this potential possibility I became obsessed. Like I'm not even going to sugarcoat it. I, uh, cause I'd given her my social media, you know, profiles on Facebook and IG. Well, you know, on IG, you've got the stories and stories you can on each picture, you know, you can hit the swipe up and then you can see every single person that looked at the photo. I was the psycho crazy that was doing this. So for two weeks while I was waiting just for anything back, I was looking to see if she had seen my photos. Now, keep in mind, I had several hundred people that would view my my stories at this point. I mean, cl sometimes close to like a thousand at this point. So I was going through name by name by name. 
because I knew her, I saw her profile, I knew the name of it, and it would take me hours. We were actually down in Mexico. Eric and I had taken a trip down there. It was, you know, a planned one already for our anniversary. And I'm obsessed. Like it was, it caused even just some tension because I was not trying to show that I was obsessed with it, but it was, it was like I just opened up this huge wound, this wound that like I didn't want to share with anyone. And now I had claimed that I wanted her in my life and that I wanted to be able to, to meet her and, you know, nothing was happening. And I didn't want to like, pressure this social worker because at this point I I didn't really again you know I felt like I was at her you know mercy now when we got home I was starting to get you know upset about it because I just wanted to know one way or the other so I sent another message to the Susan Johnson and she replied and said oh well I'll send another message and I'm like well I just want to know I mean is this how it works like you know I mean do we have a phone call like you you mentioned connecting And then she didn't reply that time. Like she didn't reply after that. And I'm like, I'm, I'm, you know, now I'm an adult. I'm no longer this 18 year old that can just be pushed around and be told one story or another. So I wait about a week and I reply to her and I said, I said, this has been extremely unprofessional of you. If Taylor does not want to connect with me, that is totally fine. But you need to make sure that the words that you use I mean, they matter. Like, and the words that you use, you should have been very careful with what you said to me because if she had no desire to connect and maybe she just wanted information, maybe she just wanted some pictures and just out of curiosity to see where I was, that's totally cool. But you don't tell a birth mom that has waited 21 years for this day that their daughter wants to connect using that word. I mean, I said this to you, I quote you, this is what you said to me. I mean, I was planning like flights and I mean, this is like my dreaming. I was dreaming about this reunion, you know, reunion and everything. And, you know, how dare you say these things to me? Like I was really upset. And um, I was going into like a woe is me. You know, I'm, like I said, I I was fighting cancer. And then if you've listened to the the anniversary story, this was all leading into about June. Okay. So June of 2018 was when I was told that I had four to six months to live. I've still not connected with Taylor and I'm just feeling sorry for myself. And, you know, God, man, God just shows up in some of the best times, right? And I was, we were headed to Toronto for dinner with a couple that we know. And, you know, they're a lot younger than us you know, his, his uh, fiance was in her twenties. And so, and I was just in a pissy mood admittedly. And so on the drive down there, I'm like, I mean, really, what are we going to talk about? They don't have kids. Like I was just looking for every excuse, just not in the mood to be going. And we got there and we're in the middle of dinner and she gets talking about, I said, well, what made you, you know, move to Toronto, you know, just making conversation. And she's like, well, I was looking for my dad. Well, that immediately, you know, you know, we talk about our RAS and like our filter things suddenly really, really interest you. Right. And I'm like, oh, you, you didn't know your dad? She's like, no, I looked for him for, you know, several years and, you know, couldn't find him. And finally I found him on Facebook and I'm like, oh, wow, really? And what was that like? She goes, well, I mean, I freaked out because after like having this, you know, idea of him for so many years, when I finally found him, she goes, I got cold feet. And I mean, it was a couple of years before I actually reached out to him. And in that moment, I looked over at Eric and I'm like, oh my gosh, this was my sign. Like this was God showing me that I need to be patient. 
and that I need to be waiting on her time. And it didn't make it right what my social worker had said to me at all, but this was God's way of saying to me, Amy, be patient, you know, give her some time. So after that, I, you know, I really got into more therapy. I realized that this was a bigger wound than I had expected. And I knew that, you know what, I wouldn't have been ready to meet Taylor at that point. I probably wouldn't have had the emotional resilience to fully be there. And then of course, with my cancer and moving into that year with that, I I know I wouldn't have been able to give that to her. Now, fast forward, you know, she had her golden birthday last year. And I just, you know, since my social worker pretty much, you know, stopped talking to me about it and and didn't give me any more information, I did reach out to her because people ask me, why don't you just reach out? And I did. I sent her a message on Facebook. I've sent her, you know, a few messages and I'm going to respect that she's just not ready. And I have to know that that time will come. I'm, I'm praying for it. I'm having that faith that I talk about. Like I'm, I'm living as if it's going to happen someday, but I have to know that it's going to be on her time. And I want to respect that. But I hope that if she ever hears this and listens to it, that it's definitely the part of my heart that is still not healed because I want to have that opportunity. So. If you are a birth mom or maybe you're on the other side, because I'm so, I'm so thankful for the adoption process. I'm so thankful that we have this, you know, opportunity for people. I'm, I have no, no regrets at all because I know that, um, Taylor has had a better life that I just could not have given her. And that I have grown. I, everything happens for us. And my adoption really made me fight to not be that statistic. I truly believe it's why I've become extremely successful and I push myself and I'm very driven because I didn't want to be that statistic and I didn't want to follow what so many people say about the teenage pregnancy. I mean, they had that team mom show that was just, you know, terrible that would just show the typical teenage pregnancy. And I'm so, so very thankful. And if you are someone that is a birth mom that's not dealt with the shame and the pain, I'm telling you now, get into some therapy. It's an area that I really want to leverage my business over time to find the right way to help birth moms get through the healing process because it can be a very shameful experience that you know, holding on to shame and holding on to those feelings. They're seeing so many links to autoimmune diseases, to cancer. And I can't help but, you know, wonder, believe, you know, I've had doctors tell me this, that it can manifest in your body and that my cancer could have been manifested just through 20 years, you know, 15, 20 years of this shame and condemning myself and staying in such low vibration frequencies. And I'm very passionate about sharing this story now because I know that there are people out there that have done that. And then on the other side, if you are a parent of a child that is going through this, 
just show them unconditional love. That's the best gift that you can give your children when they make mistakes, when they fall down. It's to show them that you love them no matter what, because that, I mean, love just truly heals everything for all of us. And if that's the one thing you do, it's showing them that will make such a difference. And I just thank you. If you, if you listen through this whole thing, you know, through both parts, I thank you for letting me have this therapy session with you because that's what it is. You know, hiding this is what keeps us stuck. Being vulnerable and sharing these things, sharing our shame is, is the best gift that we can give ourselves. So I thank you for giving me this opportunity and this platform to have a place to share it. So there you have it. Part two of my two-part adoption story. If I've kept you this long, I'm just very thankful for the opportunity. You know, our shame, when we keep that hidden, you know, it eats at us. And so I'm just so thankful that I've been able to share this. And if you know anyone, a birth mom, maybe an adoptive couple that's trying to understand a birth mom, or maybe your daughter, maybe your child is going through a pregnancy let them listen to this, share this with them, share this on your social media. That's the way I get my message out and my story out. And I promise you, I've got a lot more episodes coming that are much more upbeat and will really help you in creating your best self. (laughs) 